0: The three-time presidential candidate and former mayor of Mexico City, Cuauhtémoc Cárdenas, is often described as the moral leader of the Mexican left. The son of Lazaro Cárdenas, one of Mexico's most respected presidents, he's widely believed to have won the 1988 presidential election, but lost out because of massive voting fraud. Now with the Mexican government looking timid in the face of Donald Trump's constant attacks, the veteran leftists believe Mexico needs a different kind of government in order to defend its people and future prospects. Viva Mexico! Viva. My name is Stephen Woodman.
1: And I'm Duncan Tucker.
0: You're listening to Viva Mexico, a podcast from Guadalajara offering news and views in the age of Trump.
1: This week we'll be speaking to Guatemoc Cardenas about the kind of government he thinks Mexico needs to defend itself from the Trump administration. We'll also
2: discuss the state of the Mexican left and the debate over populist politics.
0: Here Guatemoc Cardenas.
2: The government needs to adopt a much firmer stance, not just against all the verbal threats, but also the measures that have been carried out, such as withdrawing investment from our country due to President Trump's declarations, all without the Mexican government saying a single word to protest or defend us. We reprimand him and tell him to stop attacking Mexico and our efforts to develop the country. On the other hand, we urgently need policies to create employment, generate economic growth Expand change of production and fortify industry. We need to fortify our national economy so that we're not exposed to so many risks. uh, Cardenas also told us that he wants to scrap the Treaty of Guadalupe
1: Hidalgo, which marked the end of the Mexican American War and gave the US ownership of almost half of Mexico's territory. Cardenas said there were legal irregularities around the signing of the treaty, and he wants to take legal action to force the US to hand the territory back to Mexico or pay compensation involving a figure with a lot of zeros, as he put it. Now that's a pretty bold demand. What do you make of it, Steve?
0: Well, it is a pretty bold demand. I think it's pretty unlikely. It seems like a publicity stunt, uh, really, to maybe draw attention to some of the historical abuses and the imbalance of power between the US and Mexico. But the idea that Californians are going to suddenly wake up in Mexico in the near future. Some of them might want to given the current president, but um realistically this isn't going to happen. It seems kind of a, a bit pointless to be making such a fanfare about about that issue. I don't think people in Mexico even particularly care now. That was this is we're speaking about the 19th century and people in the US, a lot of people don't even know about this this treaty. And those that do, probably, they, they don't think that Mexico has a claim here.
1: Do you think it works on a symbolic level just to kind of remind Americans and Donald Trump that a lot of these territories used to be Mexican, and it's kind of harsh to be kicking out illegal immigrants from lands that their forefathers may have lived on?
0: I think that's what he's doing, but I, I don't think it's a very effective um, symbolic gesture, really. Because... I don't think people particularly care about these, these, uh, this period of of history. They don't necessarily think it has a big bearing on on the current state of affairs.
1: Yeah, and, and realistically, what are the odds that Donald Trump is actually going to hand over like California, half of New Mexico, and a few other states voluntarily just give them back to Mexico, or or pay them money, which probably would be even bigger than uh, the amount that he needs to build his wall. Um, On a more constructive note, a few days ago, Cardenas held meetings that are part of a new project called Por México Hoy, or For Mexico Today. These talks reportedly involved figures such as Javier Cecilia, the poet leader of Mexico's most prominent peace movement, Alejandro Solalinde, a well-known priest and human rights activist, and Enrique Alfaro, the mayor of Guadalajara. And uh, these talks focused on issues like universal basic income, ensuring quality education and universal health care and social security coverage, uh, maintaining Mexico's oil and electricity industries under state control, and revoking some of the neoliberal reforms passed by President Enrique Peña Nieto. Do you think this is more of a kind of constructive, useful way of using his influence?
0: Yeah, I think this is a positive move in terms of um, seeing new political movements that are using new language and talking about problems that the country is facing in a frank and open way. Some of these measures, uh, it's interesting to hear people in Mexico talk about universal basic income because that seems like a quite an advanced measure to even be thinking about in mexico pedro kumamoto was speaking about this yeah. the other day wasn't he and i mean it is something that is obviously in the future people are going to be talking more and more about that kind of measure
1: yeah i think it's encouraging if they can even begin to push that onto the agenda i think the idea of this this project seems to be to kind of build a progressive social movement that can change the national discourse and put mexico back on the right track i think they don't plan to support any specific candidate but they hope to persuade some of the candidates to to back their proposals and their agenda and in that way kind of take back democracy
2: to some extent from the the corrupt politicians that have basically hijacked it. Mexico needs a government that worries about improving the living standards of the population and protecting the national economy and our natural resources. I think the best defense against aggressions from the US president is to strengthen Mexico's productivity and substantially improve family earnings and savings. I think we urgently need to change the model of development for this country. We need to change the national project that's being carried out. In the last 40 years, the country has become very politically and economically dependent on the United States while concentrating wealth in very small groups of the population. The effects of this are more poverty, more unemployment, a fall in family income and real salaries and the generation of violence and insecurity all over the country. I think the majority of Mexicans want a different situation. Do you agree with that, Steve?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that it's important to note that when you've got this level of inequality in the country, it's very difficult to maintain a healthy democracy. And I think we definitely see some of some evidence of that in, in Mexico, that it's... It's just, there's such a gulf in terms of uh, wealth and in terms of education even, uh, it's very difficult to have a kind of functioning, normal democratic system.
1: Yeah, and I think if if you take the the situation that the country's in now, it leads me to kind of think about what, what could have happened. Cuauhtémoc um, Cardenas was on the... The verge of becoming the first opposition candidate to beat the uh, the Institutional Revolutionary Party, which had ruled for almost 50 years at that time, back in uh, 1988. And on the day of the election, once the vote started coming in, he had a clear advantage and the the ruling party got worried. Suddenly they announced that the vote counting system had crashed. And once they resumed the count a few hours later, suddenly the pre-candidate, Carlos Salinas de Gottari, had a big advantage and he went on to, to win the election. Salinas went on to privatise a number of major industries. He signed NAFTA, the the free trade agreement with Bill Clinton. And later, along with his brother Raúl Salinas, he was involved in a number of corruption scandals. Given everything that's happened since then, do you think Mexico would be much better off today if Cardenas hadn't been robbed of the presidency and Mexico had made that transition to democracy much earlier?
0: We don't really know what kind of leader he was. Mm. One thing I would... Hopeful with someone like Cuauhtémoc Cardenas is he? He's not got such a long history of corruption, and uh, they could have perhaps rooted out some of the corruption that's a real massive problem in in the country. Mm-hmm.
1: I think one of the problems he would have faced was that he, he then went on to found the left wing party of the Democratic Revolution, or, or PRD as it's known by its Spanish initials, which was for many years the the major left wing party in Mexico. But he actually ended up leaving that party back in 2014 partly because of the the corruption which seeped into this party as well. So it's like we talk about the Mexican left as if it was sometimes different or immune from the kind of corruption that takes over the other parties, but the reality is that pretty much all of Mexico's major parties are equally corrupt. So
0: yeah, it's across the, the political spectrum. Right? Yeah.
1: So in mean, maybe him it's a similar kind of thing people talk about and just Manuel López Obrador, that he's seen as a less corrupt figure. And maybe on an individual level, he is less corrupt than someone like Enrique Peña Nieto. But that doesn't mean the people around him are any cleaner than the people in the current government.
0: And I think NAFTA would have been passed anyway. And NAFTA was really a huge, huge change in Mexico. So... Um, Whether it would have been that different, meant Mexico under Cuauhtémoc Cardenas and uh, and following his presidency, whether it would have been that different, I mean, there is a bit of a question mark there because a lot of these changes happened as a result of over-dependence on the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a bit
1: like when Vicente Fox finally did become the first candidate to beat the PRI in 2000, everyone thought Mexico was going to change and become this kind of much stronger, more democratic and. More equal kind of society, and that never really happened. And now we're back with the the pre in charge again. So it's it's hard to tell what Mexico really needs to to completely change the way politics is done here. So what what do you think about uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador? He's the front runner at the moment for next year's uh, presidential elections, and he seems to be benefiting from the the hostility coming from the Trump administration because he's kind of a more nationalistic guy who can who says he, he can defend Mexico better than the current government. We haven't seen who the other parties are going to put forward as their candidates yet, but at the moment everyone's talking about Obrador Obradores, if he's going to be Mexico's next president. What, what do you make of that?
0: Well, this week President Enrique Peña Nieto was at a banking conference in Acapulco with some major politicians and figures from the world of finance. I think Colin Powell was there, the, the former Secretary of State, and the theme of the conference was very revealing. It was liberalism versus populism. So what what you got really were a series of veiled attacks on Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, who's known as AMLO. This is part of a pattern among the pre the ruling party, and among the media in Mexico, and also among some international media. It's part of a strategy to link AMLO with the rise of populism, in particular with... Donald Trump, but also with even things like Brexit. How do you feel about uh, this link with AMLO and, and populism? Is he a populist leader?
1: I think he does have populist tendencies, but I think people, especially his critics, just try to compare him to whoever the bogeyman is at the time. Like in 2006, when he ran for president, they compared him to Hugo Chavez. Now today, they're comparing him to Donald Trump. And like, the way they talk, maybe there's a certain similarity in their, their rhetoric, but in their in terms of their background, Trump's a right-wing businessman with zero political experience before last year's election, whereas López Obrador is a career politician who successfully governed one of the world's biggest cities. So, I mean, there's pretty big differences between their, between their candidacies.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important that he's a left-wing figure, so he's not part of some trend towards right-wing populism based on a fear of immigration, as we saw with Trump and with Brexit. It's actually a completely different thing. Also, I'd say that if you look at the definition of populism, it's setting up the working people as pure and saying they're exploited by a privileged elite. In that sense, he does talk about a corrupt elite a lot, and he uses terms like the mafia of power. But I do think there's a couple of things that the press misses, and that's one of them is that there is evidence of deep corruption. In Mexico and and an elite that acts with near total impunity. So there is evidence for this idea of, I mean, he uses the term mafia of power. I wouldn't personally use that term, but there is evidence for this kind of oligarchy and uh, these elite interests, aren't aren't there?
1: Yeah, I think the mafia of power thing, it sounds a bit of a cliche now because he's been using it for so long and it just sounds like a kind of conspiracy theory, theory type phrase. But the reality is that Mexico's got a deeply corrupt government with Serious links to, to money laundering and organised crime and all kinds of things and the political, they are political Matthews like he says, but I think the way he expresses it, maybe on a on some level it will draw like some popular support, but it also leaves him open to these accusations of kind of simplifying things or or kind of buying into more kind of conspiracy type ideas.
0: But you mentioned, for example, Raúl Salinas, who is the brother of Carlos Salinas, the former president of Mexico, and he spent time in prison for murder before having his conviction overturned. Um, He was also charged with unjust enrichment and then exonerated. Um, And he had all of his money and 41 properties returned to him. And he was last in the newspapers, I think, in 2015, driving a $2 million BMW around Mexico City. So... When it comes to people like that, alarm bells are ringing when it comes to where does this money come from? Why is he owning? Why does he own 41 properties? And not many people doubt that at some point taxpayers have heavily contributed to this kind of lifestyle.
1: Yeah, and all that money that was allegedly stolen, it was returned to him as soon as Enrique Peña and the PRI returned to power in 2012 after a 12-year absence. And there's been a lot of suggestion that Carlos Lina's de Gotari is the kind of the the guy pulling the strings behind the, the puppet of Peña Nieto, that's one of the things that López Obrador has repeatedly said. And then when you see Peña Nieto returning all these funds to his uh, the Salinas family, then it does suggest that
0: maybe there's some truth to that. Another thing that they worry about the in the international press sometimes is that he doesn't respect the rule of law. That's mostly based on the fact that he uh, disputed the results of the 2006 Mexican election after he narrowly lost to... Felipe Calderon. What do you think about that? Is his does does he show an unusual contempt for norms and the rule of law, AMLO?
1: Maybe I think it was a big mistake the the protests that he held in 2006. I mean, it's understandable that he wanted to hold some level of protests and, and show that he was unhappy with the the allegations of voting fraud at the time. But it went on for a, a bit, I think about six months. He blocked Avenida the major major main road in in Mexico City. He had himself inaugurated as the legitimate president of Mexico. And that, again, just leaves him out open to all kinds of ridicule. And I think uh, in that sense, he is a bit closer to Donald Trump, perhaps, because you know that if Trump had lost against Hillary Clinton, he would have done the same kind of thing, like saying it was voting fraud and all of that.
0: Yeah. um, But I do think as well, this kind of idea of the norms and the rule of law, we saw, for example, the current president, he was involved in a property scandal. And um, he he appointed the anti-corruption investigator who cleared him. So it's not like uh, there's already this kind of long history of having a great respect for the law from the political class, is there? Is a... Yeah, and
1: the guy that he appointed to investigate him was a close friend of his. Yeah. He was never going to find him guilty. Exactly. And I think, yeah, the Mexican justice system in general is completely broken.
0: And they love using the, the word populism, uh, particularly the pre love using it as a veiled attack on uh, AMLO. But uh, the pre comes from a time before Mexico was a democracy and has a long history of failing to respect democratic norms uh failing to respect protest using populist tactics so we're hearing the president criticize populism when he came to the to power on the back of support from the country's main television channel which churns out soap operas and he was featured in with his former soap opera actress wife in every celebrity magazine. And recently, the pre, or a couple of years ago, the pre was handing out free digital TV sets in the run up to the 2015 midterm elections. So, if you're talking about naked attempts to appeal to the lowest common denominator, you're talking about the pre, really.
1: Yeah, and on the other hand, I think last year, Neto met with Barack Obama, and he was giving a standard kind of spiel about the dangers of populism and all of that. And then Obama actually came out and said, actually populism isn't necessarily a bad thing. I consider myself a, a populist leader and someone like Bernie Sanders could be a populist leader and they could be doing progressive things that people that the people need and things that are good for the country. It doesn't necessarily have to be this uh, negative thing. So we've managed to actually get this far without talking too much about Donald Trump for once, which is quite nice to be honest, but um, we can't really avoid it. So Steve, what, what impact has he had on Mexico this month?
0: Well, Trump spent Pretty busy this month, making accusations that he's been wiretapped and um, trying to get and trying and failing to get a health healthcare reform bill passed. He's obviously had a huge impact on Mexico already. He's been the cause of a lot of economic uncertainty, and we know he wants to build a border wall. We've seen deportation raids, but I think his budget proposal was pretty revealing because he wants to cut everything except defense spending that's going to have a huge impact on U.S. society because there's going to be no investment in jobs, education, medical research, clean energy. I think it's becoming quite clear that a lot of his Mexico talk was a distraction tactic because everyone's talking about the wall and not talking about the budget. It's been a bit quieter this month in terms of Trump-Mexico relations. One of the revelations or one of the issues that's been coming up is about who's paying for the wall it's becoming clearer and clearer that mexico aren't likely to pay for this wall at all um the senate majority leader mitch mcconnell uh he doesn't agree with donald trump that mexico will pay and he's admitted that so it's been a bit quieter but this is wall talk has been bubbling on in the background
1: do you think what happened with the healthcare, for example where he Despite having a majority in Congress, he still failed to to pass this legislation. Do you think something similar could happen with the wall if it comes down to the US government having to fund the wall itself? Do you think it's just going to be another one of his promises that just ends up getting completely blocked by his own government?
0: Yeah, I'm not even certain he'll be able to build this wall because it's such a huge investment. It's so long, the border.
1: It's a lot more complex than he actually made it seem as well. There's people who own houses along the border that don't want... To have their land have a massive wall across it, like there's there's all kinds of complex issues there. It's not just uh, something you can just do overnight, is it?
0: Well, like everything with Trump, really, it's much easier to shout the slogan "build the wall," or shout "lock her up," or shout um, uh, "shout down Obamacare" than it is to actually offer an alternative or get these things done. And we we've already seen how difficult it's going to be for President Trump to achieve any of these aims.
1: Speaking of uh, that slogan, did you see the, the news of the American spring breakers in, in Cancun shouting, build that wall, build that wall? Yeah. Well, what did you think of that, Steve? <laughs>
0: uh, well, I wasn't impressed. I don't think many people in Mexico were impressed either. Um, yeah.
1: Maybe, maybe Mexico should build a wall to keep spring breakers out of Mexico. Maybe that would be more beneficial.
0: That's probably a good idea.
1: You've been listening to Viva Mexico, a podcast from Guadalajara, offering news and views on Mexico in the age of Trump. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our pages on SoundCloud, YouTube and iTunes. And if you have any comments, feedback or questions, you can tweet us at Viva Mex Podcast.